Well, I debated on how I would start this, but I'm just going to be honest. I'm a little bit of a nerd, okay? Anybody, any, any fellow nerds out there? And so every year, okay, a couple of you are brave enough. Most of us are pretty introverted, so like, yeah, I ain't raising my hand, bro. Are you kidding me? But, um, but every year, around this time of the year, all of these apps and companies and a lot of churches now have even started to... Uh, produce or put out what they call year-end reviews. If you're on the Spotify platform, you got this like 15-minute long production that they showed you every last little song that you listened to down to like the minute. And so I can thankfully claim that my wife and I are on the same Spotify, so it's not really me that's listening to all of Taylor Swift's music, it's actually her, okay? So, um, but we, there's all this information that they put out and all these different companies, and so it should come to no, as no surprise to you that each year the Bible app puts out a year in review and I love looking at what they do because I like to see the themes and the trends and what's going on around the world if you're unfamiliar with the Bible app it's a platform that goes on your phone or your device now it started 15 years ago uh, from a company called Uversion and they've had 725 million downloads over the last 15 uh, 15 years around the globe it's in the Bible on the app is in 2,000 different languages which is astounding to me And so as you can imagine, the Bible app and its employees, they monitor what is being viewed or read or heard on their platform. They probably know just about as much about your spiritual journey as anyone else. They know when you start reading, when you stop reading, they know what plans you choose, what keywords you use, what themes you type into the search bar when you're looking for a scripture. They know when you stop reading and when you start reading. And so as they monitor all of this stuff, they've, they've noticed some other trends, that the Bible app and its downloads continue to grow. They had 100 million new uh, subscribers or people that installed the apps on, on their device this year. More than ever, people, I think, are turning to the Bible. They're turning to the God of the Bible for wisdom and encouragement in this crazy world that we live in. And so the Bible app, they take all of these different searches on their app, and they found the 10 most searched verses. And then they looked at the 10 common themes that came out of those most searched verses. And so what they found is that when people went to their search bar, here are are the most often words that they used. Peace, hope, anxiety, love, and healing. The most searched theme the one that was used the most often for 2023 was hope. People all over the world in all different languages on the Bible app are literally searching for hope. Hope is a feeling, an expectation or desire for a certain thing to happen. More simply, it's a feeling of trust. That you are certain that you believe or that you trust that something can or will happen is hope. In that, they found the most searched scripture. And I know what you're thinking. Well, certainly it's not Leviticus, right? And most of you are like, please let it not be Leviticus. Me too. I don't want to have to teach on Leviticus this morning. It'd be a little awkward. But it's got to be something New Testament, right? Like something Paul wrote, like something happy, something good, maybe something about Christ. And then there's a small group of you that are like, bro, we know you're going to tell us anyway, so like, let's just move it on. Like, hurry up. Okay, so it's not John 3.16. It's not Psalm 23, which is a famous passage for funerals. 
It's a scripture from the prophet Isaiah who is charged to speak on behalf of God to the nation of Israel in a time when the nation of Israel would have been lacking hope, maybe even lost all hope at all. Where they would have been wondering, does God still care? As they have been put into captivity in Babylonia as a consequence of their own rebellion towards God. Their homes would have been destroyed, their temple where they worshiped God was burned, and then they were forced to walk 500 miles to the east to serve as slaves in Babylonia. It is a hopeless situation. Jeremiah, another prophet, tells us that the captivity in Babylonia would last for 70 years. Most Israelites would die as slaves, as prisoners, never to return to their home. If there was ever a time in the nation of Israel where these people would have feared that God had abandoned them for their disobedience, it was this moment. There was fear. It was present. The very first phrase in our scripture this morning that we're going to study out is Isaiah 41.10 says, Do not be afraid. Because I believe that the opposite of fear is hope. So let's look at our scripture, Isaiah 41.10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Let's look at that first phrase, dismayed. I think for a lot of us, 2023 was the year that maybe felt like a decade. Maybe it's 22, maybe 21, maybe 20. Somewhere in there, there was a year that, or two years that have just felt like a decade. Maybe it's the phrase that when it rains, it pours. For, for Lexus and I, November and December were hard months. My truck needed some pretty major work done to it, which means that it's going to be some pretty major expense. Braden needs a surgery coming up in February. It's nothing, nothing serious, nothing uh, major, so you don't need to worry about that. Our house has some pretty major issues that need to be worked on. Lexus had an injury to her finger at work that means she cannot work at least for eight to ten weeks. And we're just kind of waiting. Like, when, when's the other shoe going to drop? Like, what's coming next? Like, Lord, have we been disobedient in some way or another? Like, what's going on here? Anybody had a period of life, maybe it's a period right now, that you felt like that? Maybe it's something a little more below the surface. There's a new term social researchers have begun to define and study called the holiday blues. Maybe something you've heard of, but it's never been given any credit until now. And so this idea of the holiday blues comes from the letdown that we have emotionally and psychologically after the Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year just parade of emotional events. The reason... I think they're finding this is that there's so much expectation, so much hype and hope put into the season. Hope that your family won't have that big blow up at the holidays. Maybe that you'll be able to repair or restore a relationship. Maybe that you'll start a new relationship. Maybe that you'll be that big city guy that 
gets tired of the corporate grind and moves all the way back home, forsaking it all, and he moves in with his parents, and he begins to operate the Christmas tree farm that his parents have owned for years. And then on the last day, right before the big town Christmas ball extravaganza dance thing that they do, uh, you find the perfect girl who's been there the whole time, and she's always just wanted you to ask her out on a date, and then you ask her out on a date, and somehow, some way, you go to the dance, and you live happily ever after, just like the theme of every Hallmark movie that's ever been created on that channel right? This is the most applause I've ever gotten for anything that I've said. Why do we put ourselves through it? We know how it's going to end. It's either the guy or the girl and they're going to fall madly in love and it's going to, it's like, this isn't real life. And you can like tell the fake snow. It's like it's 85 degrees in California and they're like, oh, it's cold. Anyway, um, but we build ourselves up for this magical thing. And Christmas morning comes and it goes and we're just simply left taking down all this stuff. And this low-grade, low-key melancholy just kind of takes over. So what researchers are calling and what we've always defined as the holiday blues. It's despair. It's dismay. Instead of hope. I think life has a way of adding stress and worry to the point that we become dismayed. Simply put, it's a feeling of sorrow, pain, anxiety, worry, lack of understanding. Matt Chandler says, well, that where you place your hope is imperative to your experience of joy. Where you place your hope is imperative to your experience of joy. If you place your hope in the wrong things, if you use the things and the people and the entertainment of this world to medicate your pains and woes, you will find that your life is filled with anxiety, sadness, and anger and disappointment. However, if you place your hope in God and you stay in that that place, trusting not in the stuff of this world to satisfy you or fill you, rather you trust in the fact that God has created all things. And that all things point to him and to his goodness. That he is the only one that can meet you in your moment of dismay. Because he is the source of hope and not just the image of it. There's an old hymn that I sing to Braden every time I put him down for a nap or bed in the evening. You could say that I want him to be steeped in theological truth. But I think that's too much pressure for a 14 month old. Plus he's going to be a pastor's kid. So he's already set up for some pressure. But I sing him a hymn that says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full into his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in light of his glory and grace. Hebrews 12.2 says, fixing our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Fixing our eyes on him when sadness is present, when dismay is crippling, when sorrow has sunk into your bones. Fixing our eyes on the author. He is the author of everything. Everything that we taste, touch, smell, experience, enjoy, while simultaneously being the author of our soul. The one who has knit us together in our mother's womb. The one who in Psalms says that I have made you 
fearfully, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. He is also the perfecter. Christianity isn't a get-out-of-pain-free card. Jesus says that I have been persecuted, you will be as well. He is the perfecter of our faith as he uses our life to shape us more into his image. This is an invitation to place your hope in the right things when trouble comes. If you're trusting in the stuff of this world to gain hope, peace, joy, pleasure, satisfaction, rest, or love, or anything else outside of the Lord, it will leave you dismayed. It will leave you with the shadow and not the real thing. Trusting in God and his promises provide you with life and life abundantly as it leaves you trusting in the source of pleasure and rest and satisfaction and love rather than in its shadow. God is saying all throughout the Bible that he is the source of all that we need and desire, that he is the singular source, that he is the only one that can provide us with the hope that we desire. Dismay is coming. Jesus says, no servant is greater than his master. If they have persecuted me, they will persecute you as well. They will hate you, some versions say. Dismay is coming. Sometimes all we get is the jelly of the month club. Because it's the gift that keeps on giving, Clark. You've got to finish that joke. But you wanted the swimming pool. You had dreamed of the swimming pool. You have put your deposit down on the swimming pool. But all you got was a certificate saying that the jelly of the month was going to show up at your door every month. I think it's propaganda. I think it's the devil trying to distract us and weary us to cloud our vision of the one who has faithfully filled us with hope when we trust fully in him. Look at it. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I am not the shadow. I am the real thing that you desire to give you life and peace and hope. When life has got you down, fix your eyes on me. And I will restore your hope and fulfill your life. God that reminds us that it's not simply, uh, God reminds us that it is not uh, simply trust in him that leads us to hope, but he also provides us with strength to do what he has called us to do. Isaiah 41.10, again, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. It's a declaration of the Lord. It's a promise of the Lord that he will strengthen, that he will help. The question then becomes, who is God? How can he provide me with strength? How does he make such a claim? It's a question of God's strength and sovereignty. His ability to know all things, be present in all circumstances, all powerful and powerful enough to pull it all off. I think this is a vision issue. Remember, Hebrews tells us to fix our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith. One of my favorite leadership phrases over the last several years has been that vision leaks. As a leader, you may have an excellent vision for those you lead. Over time, that vision, that drive that once inspired you and those working with you to drive and to, to, to perform with excellence starts to leak in their mind and their actions. And you constantly have to put back in front of them and in of yourself that vision to say, here's what we're going after. To remind them of the goal that you have and to keep them excited about the vision that is taking you to a place. 
And I think the world does an incredible job of opening up places in our lives and thoughts where God's vision for our lives ultimately begins to seep out. As we replace it with something else, ultimately it causes us not to pursue the things of God. It causes us to flee from the mission of God, which is to know Him and to make Him known. When you think of God's strength, what do you think of? Do you think of some far-off distant God who has no real power or authority over you, is absent towards who you are? Do you think of some type of cosmic scorekeeper that tallies your rights and reviews your wrongs? Do you think of him as your eternal father and the lover of your soul? How do you picture God in his strength? A.W. Tozer famously said that what we believe to be true about God is the most important thing about us. So what is your vision of God? How is your vision of God? Is it clear or has it begun to cloudy, become cloudy? Has that picture, image, or experience of God begun to leak to the point where you doubt his strength? His life begun to wring out of you any hope that you have that God will fulfill his promises. To help you complete his vision for the world. Which is to save everyone. So that no one may perish. Isaiah 40 and 41 are interesting as the chapters are linked. And a common theme of this courtroom setting. In chapter 40, God is on trial and Isaiah is God's defense attorney. And the question that Isaiah is trying to answer is God is this, can God save the nation of Israel from the captivity that they are in? Listen now, Isaiah reminds the courtroom of the power and strength that the God of the universe possesses. Isaiah 40, verse 12, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span. Enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains and scales and hills in a balance. Behold, the nations are like a drop in the bucket and are accounted as dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness compare with him? Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of earth as emptiness. To whom then will you compare me, that I should be like him, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He brings out the host by their number, calling them all by name. By the greatness of his might and because, of, because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and to him who has no might. He increases strength. God is the universe maker. And he is the star breather. He is the one that holds it all together because of his strength. He is the one who has created all things to bring him glory and honor. When it comes to sovereignty, he knows all things and is present at all times. Nothing is done without his 
approval. And yet, in creating you, God desires to draw near to you, to empower you with his spirit, to give you his strength. Says that he draws near to the faint and weary, that he binds up the wounds of the brokenhearted. He is the one who cares for us, as he recognizes that all of life has the ability to scare us to death and to dismay us beyond our own belief. Then he draws close to you. He puts his arm around your shoulder and he says, I know it's scary. I know it's hard. I know it doesn't make sense. I know this hurts way more than you ever thought it could. He says, I know that's filling you with anxiety. I know that you don't see a way out right now, but I do. In fact, I've had a plan since before the foundations of the earth were laid. Before I spoke them into existence, I knew you, declares the Lord. He says, will you walk with me? Will you work with me while I heal your soul and make you more like myself as I remind you of the ultimate vision that I have for you, which is not to leave or to forsake you, but to lead you to an eternal world where pain has ceased and conflict has ended, where there is no longer any need for hope because hope has been realized, where fear is no longer present. Only peace because of my strength to make it happen. God provides us with his strength as he clears our vision on who he is, what he has done, and what he will do by providing us with strength and hope for, now, or hope for what is to come. Verse 30, Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Listen to the promise of the Lord. Those who wait will renew their strength. What is the hardest part of waiting on someone else and not just doing it how you see best fit? It's trusting that their way is better than yours. Hope is trusting and believing that God will do what he has said he will do. As Josh talked about earlier this morning, it is a choice that we make to wait on the Lord to trust in his plan to help us in our time of need by renewing our strength and in renewing our strength, empowering us not to live in fear of what is to come or the anxiety and worry that is present now. Rather, it is the opportunity to partner with him to complete his mission for our good and his eternal glory. Isaiah 41.10, For I am with you. Be not dismayed. For I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God is offering to hold you up. God is offering to be your support, your foundation when times are hard. No matter the situation, no matter the season of life, he says, I got you. You can be in a relationship with me where you know the God of the Bible, the creator of the universe has got you and he's not going to let you fall. Rather, he promises to uphold you with his righteous right hand. This idea of righteous right hand is not one that makes, this, makes, it, makes its way, I think, into our everyday lives. So what does it mean? This idea of righteous, the word righteous, is a character reference of God. It talks about or speaks about God's character. 
that he is right in all decisions, actions, thoughts, and beliefs. So God is righteous. He is the only one that is righteous. And then he talks about his right hand. It says his righteous right hand will uphold you. It's used to denote order and honor and authority and prophecy. We always see Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father. The right hand means that God has given the authority and the power to Christ to destroy the enemies of God. It simply means that God is righteous, that he is good in all his ways and actions. Romans 3.12 reminds us that humanity had turned away from the righteous one and was in need of saving and God being the only one righteous sent his son so that the, through, the death, through his death and resurrection, an unrighteous humanity could be made righteous again. Do you see what God has done this morning? Does the Christmas story come a little bit clearer? Does Easter make a little bit more sense? He, through the power of his word, is revealing to us his character that he is absolute good and right and true, and in his righteousness he has chosen to give us the opportunity to have a relationship with him. And believing in him, we are not destroyed because of our unrighteousness and sin, but rather we are cleansed and washed of our unrighteousness so that we may walk in his righteousness. Even in being cleansed by his righteousness, God still knows that human nature at some point will take over. Or we'll fall back into some pattern of religion of trying to earn back our relationship with the Lord. That life will be, have the ability to uh, cause us to make a mistake. Where sin becomes present, where we feel dismayed. This, is li- this life is not the absence of fear or pain, but rather what we do or how, who we run to when, we fear that pain, when fear or present Uh, Fear or pain is present. What God is offering is a way out of being left hopeless and powerless and unable to fix it on our own as he is the one who holds us by his power and strength because he knows that we cannot simply do it on our own. What God has designed and desired is that we will be the righteous, it will be the righteous for the unrighteous, Christ for us. We can accept that fear can be present, but we don't have to stay there. We can have hope because we serve a God who is not limited in his strength, his love, his grace, but rather we serve a God that in his strength, love, and grace walks with us and holds us and helps us in all situations and circumstances. What a good and righteous God that we serve. That he is not far off and distant, that he does care deeply and intimately about us and that he wants to have a relationship with us. That he desires to hold us up when we feel the weakest that we possibly can. I wasn't going to share this, but I feel like I should. So Isaiah 40, the first part of Isaiah 40, it talks about how the, the nations are making their idols that they're going to worship, right? And as they make their idols that they're going to worship, they have to nail them down to the table so that they don't fall over. And so God is just simply proclaiming, I'm not an idol that needs to be nailed down. I am the living and active God. And I desire not only to help you, but to hold you when you feel like you can't do anymore. Let's take it home. I want to finish. Um, I want to finish our time. I think maybe it's, maybe it's just for me because I'm a nerd. We've already talked about that. But 
just another hymn. It, it was written in 1787 by a pastor in London by the name of John Ripon. Ripon. I'm not British, so I don't know how to say that. Okay, John R. We'll go with that. But it says this. How firm a foundation you saints of the Lord has laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he has said, you who to Jesus have fled? Fear not, I am with you. Be not dismayed. I am your God. I will still give you aid. I will strengthen you, help you, cause you to stand, upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hand. It's at the request of the king that we come to him. These are troubling times, and the world is looking for hope. For something to hang on to. For something to grasp. For something to give them. Something that will help them feel that there is something better that is coming. You and I know what to cling to. That when all hope seems lost. As the Father begins to wrap us in His arms. And reminds us of His love. And His promise of His plan. And so some, some of us need to run to Him today. Maybe for the first time. And maybe you don't have all the answers and maybe you don't got it all figured out. But hope has come. And you don't have to put your hope in anything that is going to fail you over time. You can put your hope in the one that will never fail you for the rest of eternity. And so for some of us, sin is present. And fear is present. And maybe you've lost the feeling that God will ever accept you if he truly knows what you've actually done. And so you've kept him at bay. You said you can't, you can't deal with this. You, you don't know the places I've been. And I just want to say that that simply is a lie from the devil. Amen. That there is no place you can go, no distance that you can run where the Lord won't see you. And the Lord won't, with open arms, welcome you back. And so wherever you find yourself this morning, hope has come. Love has come. Grace has come. Mercy has come. And they're in the form of our Heavenly Father who loves us so much that He sent His one and only Son to die for us so that we may have a relationship with Him. Amen. Hope has come. Christ is here. We've celebrated just a few weeks ago as a reminder that love and joy and peace and grace and mercy has come. And so he is offering that to you with his arms wide open. Uh, There's communion down here in the front if you'd like to partake in that. If not, um, or if there's anything that we can be helpful to you with, whether that's prayer or just somebody to listen, myself and a few of our elders uh, will be down here in the front after service. Otherwise, you guys know what to do from here. Go love first. Have a great week of worship. We'll see you all next week.